Welcome to the Sick and Successful Podcast, hosted by Shalinda Kirby, a cervical cancer survivor, and Natalie Supez, a Crohn's warrior since 2007. Our goal is to give you proof that it's not only possible to be sick and successful, but it's possible for you. Dream big and tune in. You can also follow us on Instagram at sickandsuccessful underscore. Here are your hosts. Hello, hello. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for uh, another episode of our podcast. The first one, you know, it's it's, it's one of those things, Natalie, where you just kind of have to go and jump in, right? It's and so see true. how it goes. We're going to get better and better as we do this. Yes, I'm sure you guys can tell it's better already. <laughs> yes, we're working on this whole audio thing. But uh, yes, thank you for bearing with us and enjoying our first episode. If you listened, thank you so much for taking the time to do so. There was a lot of you that shared it on your social media. That meant the world to us. If you guys want to stop right now and take a screenshot and share this one, the more you share, the more people can hear this message and the more people can feel comforted by it and uh, get the word out. So yeah, it means the world to us. Well, today uh, we are going to talk about Natalie's story, and uh, this is something that we talked about in the first episode, how we were going to share, you know, our personal experiences, so hopefully that inspires anyone listening to reach out to us and maybe, you know, share their own personal stories. Yeah, and just get to know us a little bit better, too, and know where we're coming from and what we've been through. Yeah. Yeah. So to get things going, uh, we're going to do something with each and every guest on this podcast, something called a speed round, where we start with three questions and uh, from there we kind of elaborate. Perfect. So with Natalie, we're going to start with uh, where you're from. I'm born and raised in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. I left for about a year, um, worked in Alberta, kind of in between there and traveled a lot, but I've always been calling Winnipeg home. And, you know, something about Winnipeggers that I've learned living here is that they always come back. It's so true. <laughs> it, the roots are deep. I thought I, I always said when I was younger, like, I'm out. I always said, like, I'm going to go live in Poland and I'm going to travel and I'm going to I have my passport and Polish citizenship. So I always thought I was going to be out of here. And then I did that and I came right back. <laughs> Sucked you back in. Yeah. But we're so lucky to have you, obviously. Um, okay, so next question. What is your sickness? This question might catch a, lo- a lot of people off guard. Um, but uh, yeah, we just want to know right off the get go. Yeah. So I was actually diagnosed in 2007 with ulcerative colitis. Um, and then over the years, that diagnosis just changed to Crohn's. It wasn't that my doctor told me any time that it was Crohn's. It just, in the years passing, it changed in my files. And I was like, oh, okay. And I've actually asked my doctor about it in the past. And I think I probably had Crohn's from the beginning. It was just misdiagnosed. But yeah, so IBD. So the next question, uh, before we get into elaborating on some of the things that you touched on, what is something that you do daily that makes you successful? Mm, I love that question so much. I think daily habits is honestly what changes our lives. It's the small things that um, can make us successful. So for me, the biggest one is honestly my morning gratitude. Um, I would say gratitude list or, or journaling. It, it kind of changes uh, depending on how my week is and how my month is. But I like to either write down three things I'm grateful for or think about them. Um, and not just like write down my house, my husband, my car, but really think about what it's like to not have those things and like get into the feeling of gratitude and what it's like if I write down my husband and, you know, him massaging my feet the night before, I'll really like sink into that feeling like, 
I am so loved. I am so supported. And I know what it's like to not have that. And so I take that moment in the morning to just be grateful. And that sets up my day um, to come from a place of gratitude uh, instead of a place of negativity, which as humans we're wired to do. So I found that like throughout the day, I'll be driving and someone will cut me off and I'll be like, oh, he's probably having a bad day. Mm-hmm. And I just keep driving. And like, I'm noticing the more and more that this gratitude routine has become a practice that I'm not quick to anger anymore, which is not something that I could have said in the past. And um, it, it gives me kind of a, v- a vantage point that I didn't have before. So I can come to the table in sticky situations with compassion and love um, out of routine, out of something that is easy versus trying to switch anger to compassion. So it's been, it's been a big change and it only takes a couple minutes in the morning. I can admire that because I remember when I first learned about gratitude as a, like I was a, probably in my teens, right? When I heard the, the word in like a church group that I was attending um, and uh, they taught us to carry like a gratitude rock with us. Like they, they did like this whole art project where we went out in the parking lot and picked a rock and then we painted it. And uh, the whole thing was because you have to train yourself to consciously do that, right? That constant gratitude, putting it out there in the universe. So having that rock every single time you carry it with you, you have to take it out of your pocket at some point. And that's when it's, you know, a cue to take a moment to, you know, show your gratitude for something. I love that so much. I I probably look like a crazy person when I'm walking my dog in the morning. I'm like, there's big snowflakes falling and I'm just like (laughs) looking at the sky with a big smile and everyone's like bundled up grumpy. Or I'll be driving in a snowstorm. I'm like, wow, so pretty. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, that's the thing though. You kind of have to stop and smell the flowers. It's such a cliche saying, but it really allows you to, yeah, or snowflakes, whatever you want to smell, sunflowers. I don't know where you live. You know, maybe you live by the ocean. Lucky you. You can smell that. I would if I lived next to the ocean. So So true. Uh, Okay. So with those three speed round questions from there, we kind of elaborate. So I think for a lot of us, we kind of want to, you know, get going with with talking about where it began for us in terms of our sickness. And then, you know, we build up to that successful part of things in our lives. So, Natalie, tell us a bit about uh, when you first found out that uh, you were sick or or when you first started to really realize that you were sick. Yeah, so I was actually still in high school. I was going to high school and I was in a cosmetology class. So I was taking hair for half the day and then the other half taking classes. And I noticed that I was in the bathroom so much and I had to run from a client and I would run to the bathroom and I was asking the teacher to go to the bathroom all the time and um, I thought it was just the flu or something so I started taking Tums and Pepto-Bismol and I was in grade 12 so I was driving and I was talking to my friends about it and and I thought everything was fine. It was just like a prolonged flu. Um, So I went to a doctor eventually and she put me on a brat diet, Um, bread, rice, applesauce and something with a toast. Toast? Something like that, anyways, um, along with antibiotics and things just got very, very bad very quickly. Antibiotics can make things worse with my disease. So um, I started seeing a lot of blood and this was over a process, but over a a period of time. Um, But when I saw blood, I freaked out and I let my parents know. And thankfully, my dad had an acquaintance who was a GI doctor and he got me in really quickly for a colonoscopy. So they checked and... Um, I just remember going in and I was so scared and they, they put you kind of half to sleep. And for some reason, my body doesn't love 
the medications they put you to sleep with. So like I was the anesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. So I was pretty much awake. I was awake the whole time and I was oh just watching my. my insides and it was traumatizing. But I was loopy. So um when they rolled me out, I all I could think about was food because they you can't eat at I know, that that's time. the worst part about getting a colonoscopy because yeah. I've had one before and like you you basically go on a two day like fast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then so you wake up and you're like, I need a pizza like right there, yeah. right now. I just remember seeing KFC commercials my whole colonoscopy <laughs> prep. So I was like, I need KFC. Yeah. But um my mom comes or my mom's beside me and the doctor's walking by and she's like, So like, did you see anything? And he's like, Oh yeah, she has ulcerative colitis. And in that moment, I was just like, she has what? Like, in that moment, I honestly, truly, I was 17 years old, and I didn't know that there was something in between cold and flu and cancer. Because mm-hmm. I have had I had people that I knew, like distant friends and the family and stuff like that that had cancer, and I knew that word was bad. And I saw colds. I never saw, like, chronic illness or anyone suffering with anything really other than, like, pain and stuff mm-hmm. in my family. So... Uh, it was a shock to the system really quickly. And he's like, yeah, book an appointment. Um, so we had internet then, but it wasn't like now. There was no Facebook, nothing. So just I started researching and, yeah, it was scary. And um, he told me that nothing mattered. Like food I ate didn't matter. Um, anything I did didn't matter. They don't know how this I got this. They don't know what to do about it, essentially. And I'm going to have it forever and I can manage it by drugs. So this is at 17 years old. Mm-hmm. This is what you're being told, that you're basically going to be living with this for, you know, the rest of your life. Yeah. And and I can only imagine what was going through your mind. Yeah, and it was kind of the summer going from, uh, it was nearing the end of high school and the summer going from high school to university. So it was a really big transition period as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was scary. And it, it makes me sad thinking back. Because it, not just the diagnosis, because I think, honestly, I'm really thankful for it and it made me who I am today. But the words that the doctor said, I don't think they realize how much impact those words have. Because for the next 12 years, I was probably the most stubborn person when it came to holistic practices or eating healthy or anything to do with helping myself with my disease because my doctor told me I couldn't. Yeah, the bedside manner, I think, is very important. And it's like... You know, I can kind of relate to, you know, when I found out that I had cancer, not to make it about myself, no, but I'm no. just trying to, you know, relate to what you're going through is is that, you know, initial, f- that initial f- finding out of, of your sickness, the way that they handle it will pretty much set the tone for yeah. how you handle it. Yeah going forward and 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 that's the thing is if it's insensitive or it's you know not very optimistic then that can really like be detrimental to how a person feels I so agree and I think that's kind of what empowers me right now to do what I'm doing and spread the word that we do have control over what we eat over what we put into our body and common sense our body runs off of vitamins nutrients like what we put into our body is what our body's running off of it so then why is doctors telling us to eat fast food and things that are easily digested which obviously is important but then we also need supplements or nutrients or vitamins and why isn't that being taught or told like I just it blows my mind and I hate to think but like if I if he didn't say those words maybe I would have been okay earlier on like my parents were so amazing and they were like my mom researched all hours of the night and I can just remember her like bringing rice milk and coconut milk and like all these things and I even went to like crazy Chinese not crazy but like I went to a crazy Chinese doctor who like made me drink like (laughs) the most disgusting stuff ever and like did acupuncture and he was like 
I'm not saying that all Chinese doctors are crazy by any means, but like he was just like, I'm just laughing thinking about him. But yeah, he yeah. was just like all over the place. But yeah. um, he made me drink this like, honestly, it tasted like diarrhea. Like it was oh, like the grossest man. thing. But like my mom that wasn't it like my dad researched and was like cabbage soup and it's a, it's a joke to today cabbage juice actually it's a joke for us till today and he's like drink cabbage juice and I thought he was mental like I was like you have no idea what my disease is like you have no idea like cabbage juice isn't gonna do anything well come to being a holistic nutritionist and doing research like cabbage is one of the biggest things they recommend and mm. I'm like man <laughs> like not that cabbage juice would have cured me but if I did maybe change the way I was eating then to a little bit more nutritious or I paid more attention for a longer period of time and right. cared and knew that I had the capability to do something even if that's not going to cure me but if that can reduce my symptoms I suffered for 12 really really long years so yeah that's kind of long story. <laughs> no, no. I mean, obviously, that's all part of it, right, is is going through that first beginning struggle into mm -hmm. accepting your sickness and, you know, how you're how you're going to, you know, deal with that. Yeah. Um, and you had said that you were making the transition to university. So I'm sure, you know, most people in that point in their lives, they have these dreams and aspirations to do things. And uh, when you're sick, sometimes that's like, hard yeah honestly it was like I got diagnosed it was really hard and then I tried to make that a second part of my life like not it's hard to explain but it was almost like I tried to ignore it so I would go to university um and at one point I was working five jobs while in university and I'm I sorry did you say five jobs <laughs> how does yeah. somebody work five jobs and and go to school at the same time I honestly couldn't tell you so I was uh hairstylist. I was working at a salon full-time, almost. I was a TA for a professor, so I was marking exams and stuff like that. I worked at the purchasing department in the university, like filing things. I, what else did I do? Oh, I worked on a party bus on the weekends. <laughs> well, just, you know, throw that in there on the weekend. Um, and I did hair at home, like on the side, oh, on the man. side, while taking almost full-time courses in business school. But so, yeah, you can tell right there, like, where's time to be sick? And I didn't allow that time to be sick or to take care of myself. So luckily, my grandpa was driving a car um, for people with disabilities. So he was if someone broke their leg or um, if someone, you know, couldn't walk, he would drive them from class to class. So I was so blessed that he would pick me up at my car. And most of the times we'd have to stop somewhere for me to go to a bathroom before getting to class. Um, and even then sometimes I'd, he would drop me off the door and I would run to the bathroom and I'd have an accident and then I'd go to class and I had a locker in my building, um, where I was taking most of my courses where that had extra pants and stuff like that. And I'd clean up and I'd go to class. Like it was nothing. And I just shoved it as deep down as I could until I kind of fell into like a few month depression where I really just went to school and, uh, stayed in my bed and it was, it was dark times, but I guess being that young and not knowing what chronic disease was and just not having really a support system because I mean, I'm sure at that time Facebook was a thing, but I didn't know anyone who had Crohn's and I just just wanted to fulfill my dreams and be who I always wanted to be. So I didn't want Crohn's to stop me. Um, so it was a hard time, but I kept pushing. So what pulled you through uh, that time? Because obviously for you, that was your, I would say, you know, rock bottom. Mm. 
every exam period, I would end up in the hospital. And I can just remember like being in the hospital, coming out and going back to normal. It was always like that. And I guess, honestly, I don't know if anything pulled me out. I just finished university. Um, I started dating my now husband in, in the last or so year. And that was awesome. But we were a new couple who just moved out. So that was hard as well. And I wouldn't say that anything really changed my mindset for a long time after that. Even in my work career, in my nine to five job, I was still doing the same. I was trying to climb the corporate ladder uh, and we moved to Alberta. And again, I think that's when kind of things got very bad when I was out there alone. Mm. Uh, Not alone, but obviously with my husband, um, boyfriend at the time. And again, I was hustling and just trying to do the best of my job and, and not taking care of my disease because I didn't know how and I didn't know that that was a thing until I got back from there because I was in the hospital for a long time I just ignored the disease and when I got back it got so bad that I couldn't ignore it anymore and I think that's kind of when my actual rock bottom happened when I gave up on my dreams my aspirations I we lived in a one-bedroom apartment and I was like this is it for me like I was working a good job, but I was working mostly from home. I wouldn't leave the house for weeks on end. And like I would work, I would give my all to my job. And then at 4.30 it hit and I would go to the couch and I'd sit there for the rest of the night until the morning because I couldn't do anything else. Mm-hmm. And I I remember thinking like, well, that's that. Like I'm Crohn's and this is what I am. And like, I can't, I can't do anything else. I don't have any other options. And I, it was, it was really a scary time. And honestly, so this whole period, the going to university, the getting diagnosed, working, that lasted for pretty much 12 years where the disease ended up taking over and it was it was a lot of my life. What pulled me out of that was eventually I was in the hospital in 2017, I believe, so not that long ago. Um, and it was surgery or putting me on a medication that I was avoiding for a long time called Humira. And so I said, okay, finally to the Humira, which they've been, they were trying for a few years. And Humira started working a little bit after I was in the hospital, but it caused me to gain around 60 pounds really quickly, like in a few months. And throughout the time where I was really sick, I was really into fitness. So I would be going to the gym, even though I'd have to run to the bathroom 15 times throughout a workout. It was something that I got my stress out with. Um, when I gained all that weight, it was like I lost control of the one thing that I still held on to. And it was so scary. I hated my body. I hated going to the gym because I felt out of place. I was still upset with the disease because it was still taking up so much of my life. And, um, I just remember thinking, well, if I can't help myself, I might as well help other people. So I went to school to become a personal trainer and started learning about nutrition and took on some coaches and in doing that I was like wait a sec if I can help these people maybe I can help myself so I started reading books and listening to audible books and came across one called uh fat to fuel by Dr. Mercola I think and it was talking about all about keto and all of this stuff and I decided to try it and I was able to put myself into remission by nothing to do with focusing on my disease but trying to lose weight trying to lose the weight and I put myself in remission. I asked my doctor and we got off all medications. And then I was like, wait a sec, like humans can live like this. Like this is real life. Like I'm not going to the bathroom 15 times throughout the day. I'm not in pain. I'm not bleeding every time I go to the bathroom. I don't have to take 30 medications in the morning. It was 
so surreal. And I think I just got like a new zest for life. So it was almost like I pulled myself out of it without knowing. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, obviously everything happens for a reason, but it was a huge blessing. It's funny how you have to kind of like reach that like point where you look in the mirror and you're not really happy with the person looking back at yourself. And even in the case of sickness, you know, that it can be hard to to get out of that slump because, I mean, you just don't feel like doing anything and, and you just feel like so, I guess, um, defeated, defeated, defeated. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and throughout that whole time, there was peaks and valleys. So people who know me listening back know, might not have known it was that bad. Um, like I would go do things. I had things I loved. I would work hard at work and things like that. And I would put on a brave face when I could. But the valleys were really low and it was a really dark time until, yeah, I, and I got a little light at the end of the tunnel. And so thankfully I've been in remission. I, what I like to call half remission because I still have some symptoms. But for the last two years without medication, which has been... Unreal. That is fantastic to hear, <laughs> yeah, though. Thank you. Because, uh, you know, that's the whole point of this podcast is to inspire people that, you know, are listening that may be dealing with the same thing. Mm-hmm. Still, to see that light at the end of the tunnel can sometimes be inspiring, mm-hmm. right? Especially with a chronic disease, because it's like you're told you're going to have this forever. And remission, I would look at people who were in remission. I'm like, oh, yeah, you probably just don't have the disease as bad as me. Mm-hmm. But I had severe Crohn's. Like, they were going to do surgery, and I'm in remission, so it's possible for everyone. So when you were going through that time in your life where you felt like you were at that rock-bottom point and you were, you know, overcome with your sickness, another question is, like, how did you continue to, I guess be successful in exploring ways to help yourself with with your sickness honestly like when I was at my sickest I don't think I did because I didn't believe that I could so I did do things like fitness and eat well but a lot of the time that was almost for vanity reasons and because I wanted to look better never because I thought I could feel better um again because of the first words that doctor said in 2007 that I couldn't so it wasn't until I noticed results from trying to lose weight on my disease that I realized then that I could take care of myself or at least help myself help my body in trying to fight this disease so when when that happened it was all research and audiobooks and and diving into other people's stories on Facebook Instagram Mm. um, support all of that kind of stuff but yeah throughout the darkest time I didn't believe there was anything I can do which which sucks (laughs) What was your support system like? Um, I know that you mentioned you started dating your now husband at the time that, you know, your sickness kind of was at its worst. So Mm. what was that like? I'm honestly so blessed for the people that I have in my life. Um, My husband was there for me every step of the way. He wasn't there for the first, I don't know how many years, few years. But uh, he came on and I was sick and I was scared that I wouldn't find someone who would stick around with me being so sick. Uh, there were some accidents earlier on in our in our relationship, which are so embarrassing. I'm sure they'll come out eventually. Uh, <laughs> I actually can't wait because you know what? That's all part of being sick. Exactly. I mean, you kind of have to laugh those things off, oh right? Oh, my gosh, yeah. We'll get yeah. into that in another episode. Maybe we'll have an embarrassing stories episode. Yes. Oh, gosh. That would be a great topic. Yeah, I will be. write that down, okay. actually. <laughs> um, so, but he, oh, man, like I mentioned before, my parents are, I'm so blessed for them. They're the best parents in the world. I'm an only child. Um, but people think that I'm spoiled, but I, I would say it's almost the opposite. Like I had to do all 
all of the chores? No, they did a lot. But like I had to, you know, there was no one else to blame stuff on. I, um, they had higher aspirations for me. They were both immigrants. Right. They wanted me to go to university, but they were always there by my side, no matter what. And so I was already blessed with that support. And then my husband came along and he's so amazing. And he would always be there by my side in the hospital. The first time actually that I went to the hospital when we were dating was about a year into us living together, a year into us dating. Um, <laughs> and he would come to the hospital at like six in the morning before going to work so he could brush my hair and like try to put it up, which oh, was hilarious. Stop. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hashtag couple goals. I wish I could show you. Like if, and like <laughs> I'm showing Kirby, but like the ponytail was like coming out from the side top half of my head. <laughs> like, I mean, but, the hey, effort it was though. Up. Exactly. Yeah. And he would be there right after work he'd go feed our dog and then come to the hospital all night and then do that again and he was just amazing and he's been like that throughout our whole relationship he, if I wasn't breathing and like in so much pain he'd come lay beside me and help me breathe and um it was hard to let him in at the beginning because I was very used to dealing with everything on my own I remember like one of the first times we were sleeping not one of the first times but like within the first few months of moving in together I was curled up in pain on the bed and like he went to rub my back and I snapped at him was like don't touch me um but over time I realized that that helped me and like just that physical touch helped me a lot and he was just so supportive and is so supportive in the way that he would push me when I was using the disease as an excuse so like mm -hmm. if I was like oh I don't feel like going it's my Crohn's he'd be like bullshit like you're fine <laughs> Like, let's go. But he could, like, he knew me almost and my disease better than I did. And he, another time he freaked out on me because I wasn't going to go to the hospital and I was going to go cut someone's hair. And it turned out that I had a perforated bowel. So I had a hole in my intestines and I was like, no, I'm fine. I have to cut her hair. And I couldn't even walk from like my bed to three steps to the bathroom. And But that just speaks to your personality though, because you're such a go-getter <laughs> that you're just like, no, I got this. I'm going to do it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And he, I remember to this day he was standing in our apartment door and he's like, you need to go. Like, I don't, he would never yell at me, but like, he was so angry and he just slammed our apartment door and went upstairs. Our friend lived upstairs. And that, when he did that, and I'm not used to seeing him angry, I was like, or at least angry at me. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, okay. And he took me to the hospital that day. So like, he was just looking out for your best interest. Well, he knew that yeah. like I was being stubborn. Yeah. Yeah. And even, yeah, he's just been there every step of the way whenever I needed. And of course, every relationship has their issues. And I know I'm so blessed. I know other people don't have this, but Again, it just shows that it's possible. It's not like I found him prior to being diagnosed. No, mm -hmm. I shit my pants within weeks of like <laughs> us being together. Like, it's embarrassing. Yes. But um, yeah, and he, it was hard. Like, you know, any relationship is. But mm -hmm. if you're going to find a right man, he's going to need to know. So it's possible for anyone listening. So now I know you're an advocate for people with Crohn's and IBD. And, and so what, what inspired you to kind of like take that role? Yeah. So I, like I was saying in that last hospital stay um, in 2017 before the Humira, I remember laying there and just thinking like, I have two options. I can give up and I can, you know, take, get, not that surgery is giving up, but like for me that was. Um, and I could do that and just be my disease or I can give up and, and go on the Humira and be my disease or I can step up and 
and actually drive for these dreams that I've given up in the last few years. And I could, I literally laid there writing down like business names and like dreaming about business ideas. And that one hospital stay wasn't as torturous as all the other ones because I was laying in that bed just dreaming about how I was going to help people. I still have that notebook somewhere. It has like color colors for my business and like all of this different stuff because I, I just had this spark like this can't be it for me. Like this, ho- this hospital room can't be it for me. I, I need to, I, I was put here for a reason and I need to change lives. And I almost think that's why the waking happened because I don't think anything else would have jarred me into taking care of myself. Maybe, I don't know. Everything happens for a reason. I do mm-hmm. believe that. So in that process, when I started working with women to try to lose weight or be healthy, um, I got a client who had Crohn's and it just, lit me up like I was on fire helping her and she had results within the first couple of weeks and I was like yes and it just spiraled from there and I started posting on Instagram and people would message me saying like I needed this today or you changed my life like I've never seen it this way you give me hope and and from that moment I was like this isn't me like this is its own its own rolling snowball (laughs) I don't know Um, but it just gave me this point of view that more people need to show the real side of this disease and the hard stuff, but also the good stuff Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and show that we have a say and it's not just the doctors deciding our health and that we can do something about our health. And it's just all, it's mostly been sharing my story, but also giving people a voice to share theirs. So to wrap things up, we usually ask what success means to you. And for somebody like yourself, Natalie, uh, if, if, if you're listening and you don't follow Natalie on social media, you should uh, for the health. And, you know, your your voice is just such a strong voice in, in the community that you work in. And you do give that light at the end of the tunnel for a lot of people, specifically, obviously, people that are, are sick with the same thing that you are. Uh, but even just people like myself that follow mm-hmm. you and feel inspired. So I'm, I'm super you. interested to see or sorry, hear what uh, success means to you. Yeah. And this has changed for me so much over the years, like going into university success meant a mansion and a bunch of money and leading some kind of big company. But as time's gone on and as I've really seen what life is, success just means helping other people and changing lives ultimately, giving people the ability to change their own lives or and giving them the power and their own voice and yeah, just inspiring people. Like I'm not that I inspire them, but that I give them the power to be inspired. Um, and to, to have hope. Well, I'd have to disagree with that because I do think that it does have to do with you inspiring people because in order for people to be inspired, somebody needs to kind of show their true colors, right? And be vulnerable and open and honest. And that's very admirable. So thank you for being who you are and speaking that way to, to your followers. Uh, and thank God to have, we have a platform nowadays that you can do that. So true. So true. So cool. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode, Natalie. Your story is fantastic. And hopefully, you know, other people can be inspired by it like I am. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and anything else that you'd like to add, I would love to hear. So. Yeah, just if this story resonates with you listening at all, um, take a screenshot and tag us, sick and successful underscore, or tag me for the health. And let you can even DM us and just, like, let me know. 
um, if your story correlates with mine or if it brought something up for you, our DMs are always open. So I know it just means a lot to have someone to hear, to be a shoulder to lean on or someone who knows what you're going through. So, yeah, I just open up my DMs to anyone who wants to chat. And next episode is uh, my story, I suppose. I can't wait. I can't wait. (laughs) It couldn't be more polar opposite. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Which is a good thing. We want to add different perspectives throughout this podcast. So be listening for that episode uh, coming up. Thanks so much for listening. If you like our show and want to know more, follow us on Instagram at sickandsuccessful underscore and join us next week for an all new episode.